So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word, that it does bring life and it transforms our life. Lord, I thank you that it is truth and that Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth and your word says you lead us into all truth. Father, as we consider our prayer life, Lord, again, we come before you and just say, lead and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just for a side uh, notice for Steve, just your purpose, Steve, nobody else. Uh, the Queen, the only football team she invited to Buckingham Palace was actually Arsenal. So, yeah, I know. Uh, the whole of them, Arsenal was the only one. Yeah, so. <laughs> You've got to make the most of every opportunity, the Bible says. So, Okay, we've been on a journey looking at the Lord's Prayer, the different aspects of it. Our Father, we looked at, hallowed be your name, and your kingdom and will be done on earth as in heaven, and given us our daily bread. And so we've, we've looked at the different aspects of prayer, the makeup of this prayer that Jesus said, and now we saw the first three key points are about the Lord, and then the next key points are about us, uh, last time was uh, our daily bread, give us our daily bread, which we saw was provision in all manner of ways, really. So this week we're on week four, and it is forgive us as we are forgiven. Or some translation says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Okay, now when Jesus said this, I love it because he's so cheeky is our Lord, and what I love about it, it says, and forgive us our debts as we uh, also have forgiven our debtors. Not that we will. So immediately he chucks them straight in the deep end with an assumption, because you're a believer, you have forgiven your debtors. Not twisting your arm, oh, because you're a Christian, you should really forgive and I'll let you work that out as a suggestion, he actually comes in with a wet fish straight round the face and said, uh, you have forgiven, as we have forgiven. So there's an assumption, one of the fruits of the believer is that we have a forgiving heart, okay? And we have a forgiving heart. I've met many Christians who turn around and say, I can't forgive, and I understand that. But they don't really mean they can't forgive. What they're saying is, this is a really big thing for me and I feel ill-equipped to do it. Well, Jesus meets us in that place and that's the wonderful joy with Christ Jesus. So, uh, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Amen? Now, the same prayer in Luke eleven four says, "Forgive us our sins, for we have also forgiven. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us." So, in Luke four, he brings it into present tense. Okay, so he says, "Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us." So, in Luke four, it's present tense. So as we're marking, marching out our lives, we do that. For some of us, it's really hard to receive forgiveness. For others, it's really hard to forgive, okay? And some people find it easier to forgive uh, the, the other people than what it is to feel forgiven by God. But we have to remember, again, Forgiveness is not based on a feeling about you feeling forgiven or about having the feelings that you desire to forgive someone. And often we, we say, well, we can't forgive them because I'm angry. I can't forgive them because I'm upset. I can't forgive them because what they did to me was so painful and abusive and hurtful and I can't forgive them. And sometimes we can get a bit confused as to exactly what forgiveness is and what painful memories are. There are situations in my life I've forgiven people for, but when I think back to what happened, it's still as painful, it still hurts, there's still horrible memories 
They're not suddenly turned into nice roses and love hearts and it's all wonderful. No, it's still painful. It still hurts. But my forgiveness to somebody else is not dependent upon how I feel. It's dependent upon what Christ has done for me. And because he has forgiven me, I desire to forgive other people. Often we get confused as to what forgiveness is. Sometimes we can think that forgiveness is saying, well, it's okay then. What you did or what they did to you, it's okay. It doesn't matter. I let you off. That's not forgiveness, you know. Forgiveness isn't about letting somebody off in that sense. And it's certainly not saying, do you know what? It's okay. No, it wasn't okay when they'd done it, and it's still not okay now, okay? <laughs> it wasn't okay, it's still not okay. Sin took place, hurt was there. And it's never saying it's okay. But what forgiveness is doing, it's saying, no, you did something wrong to me, but despite that, I do not hold it or charge it against you. I loose you and free you from any pending judgment or bad feelings that you may feel. I set you free. I'm not going to throw this in your face. Just as God forgives us, he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. It's the only thing we're thankful that God doesn't choose to remember. Now, it's not that he forgets, because God can't forget. But he chooses not to bring it up again. Have you ever been in an argument with a husband or wife or friend or whatever and suddenly you're, you're going at it and, and they've done that same thing again that you actually forgave them for and you, you're trying not to bring it up again. You're trying really hard to bite your tongue. I'm not going to mention you keep doing this, but then you just can't help it and it comes out and says, well, you did it last week and you said you wouldn't. And we've remembered it again and we haven't separated them from that sin. We've actually put it on them again. And that's a part of our humanity. But it's essential for us as Christians that we understand we are forgiven. If we do not truly grasp forgiveness from God to us, we will never truly flow in being able to forgive other people free and easily. You know? Asking for forgiveness of the Lord is not necessarily a prayer for salvation. Some people think asking for forgiveness is a prayer for salvation, but it's not. We, as Christians, are forgiven. Hallelujah. You are forgiven. You were forgiven at the cross. Every sin you have ever committed has been bought and paid for. Jesus didn't just die for your sin. He died for the sins of the world. Everybody's sin. Every Hindu, every Muslim, every Sikh, every nationality you can imagine, every Gothic, every, every rocker, every whatever you like, and the Queen included, because she was a sinner. Saved by grace. But Jesus died for the sins of the world. Christians are the ones who have said, we accept it. We receive it. We acknowledge what you've done. And we receive it in its fullness. But he is, even for the non-Christian, he has still dealt with the issue of their sin. Their sin's been dealt with. They've been set free from their sin. But they refuse to accept it. Amen? I could have a little present up here for somebody and I'll say, oh, I've got a present for you. But if they choose not to receive it, well then, they're not going to benefit from it. And that's what the unbeliever does. They choose not to receive what Christ has done for them. But it doesn't change the fact that there is a gift waiting should they change their mind. Somebody listened to my preaching very intently and my whinging about scratching Mara's back. They gave me this today. <laughs> Thank you, Roz. There you go, you can scratch your own back. <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. But it really is essential for us to understand that God loves us. 
and he set us free from sin. Asking for forgiveness is recognising our weaknesses. He's already forgiven you, so when we ask for forgiveness, we're not in one sense asking him to forgive us because Jesus doesn't go and nail himself back on the cross and make a sacrifice again for that sin. Hebrews says he died once and for all. One sacrifice, it did everything, forever. Never needed to be done again. But what we're doing, we're recognising and we're bringing ourselves into agreement with God that our behaviour's been wrong. And we're recognising it. You know, and that's why it's important to confess your sins one to another. It's really healthy. Why? It gives you a humble heart. It stops pride. It causes you to be accountable. It gives you people around you who will help you be strong in that particular area of your life where you might have weakness. So confessing our sins one to another in that respect is brilliant, okay? It's not for them putting them on Facebook and saying, do you realise what Sandra told me this week? <laughs> That's not the purpose of it, okay? So when we understand the full purpose of forgiveness, it's wonderful. Uh, 1 John 1 verse 8, 1 John 1 verse 8, I'm sure you'll be familiar with this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Wonderful. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. I can remember having a friend of mine called Alan and he was convinced he was sinless. Absolutely convinced he was sinless. You know, and uh, he wasn't. He was a dirty, rotten sinner, you know. But he would not have it. His own self-righteousness. Our own self-righteousness is never going to come up to the measure of his righteousness. It's just not going to happen. In comparison, the best of the best of what we can offer is like dirty rags. In comparison. Now, because God's love and grace, do you know what? He even receives our dirty rags. Amen? And he takes away, he exchanges beauty, ashes for beauty, and he clothes us in robes of righteousness. Hallelujah. So, we need to confess sin. Confessing, or repenting of sin, is important. Repenting. And sometimes, again, we get confused between repenting of sin and an apology. Many a time people will come to the front with snot and tears all mingled together in one and they leave a trowel like a slug all the way up to the pulpit and they're crying and whinging and there's this silver trowel behind them of snot and tears mingled together and they get to the front and they cry and they pour out their emotion which is kind of genuine and uh, they say, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this thing, I shouldn't have done it, I'm so sorry. Now let me tell you, that is not repentance, that is a wonderful apology. An apology is right, it's the right thing. If I upset my wife, I apologise to her. It's the right thing to do, say, I'm sorry for upsetting you. Repentance is different to an apology. Repentance is saying... My behaviour, what I've done, my attitude is out of line with you and who you've created me to be. So I'm going to change my mindset on that topic. I'm going to change my attitude. In actual fact, from this point, I'm going to walk this way. I'm not going to walk how I did before because I'm repentant and I recognise that was not right. See, when we come forward, and it's fine coming forward and crying and having those emotions, many a time I've cried over my sin. But repentance and apology are separate things. They are different. And sometimes we think that we're repenting when we're not really repenting. We're remorseful and we're sorry of really we're apologising. But repentance is to say, do you know what? I disagree with the way I was and I'm going to change the way I am from now. Years ago, when we, before we had children, 
this will not shock some of you, I was a bit of a petrol head. I loved driving and, uh, oh, it was so bad. I loved handbrake turns around the corners <laughs> and all that sort of thing. Once I, I drove my car across the school field in the snow and me and my brother managed to do three 360s going across this school field. Incredible, absolutely amazing, but didn't have... Now, I was a bad driver. I took risks when I shouldn't have done. Sometimes, if there was no traffic coming, I could see it. Uh, do you know the roundabout at the bottom of the town by the Globe, what was the Globe pub? It's now Cake Place, Queens. I used to go the wrong way around that roundabout because it was just quicker, you know? I was awful and I took so many unnecessary risks. But once we had children, I remember dropping Ma off at work driving Leah home, she was, uh, I had Leah, going back home, me and Leah, she was in the baby seat beside me, and she's looking at me, and I'm down the A2. And then I thought, what the heck am I doing? I prayed for five years to have a child, and I'm driving like an imbecile, taking stupid risks. What's wrong with me? I said, Lord, I'm changing. I repent. I will not drive like this. Amen? And Mara, I tell you, from that day, I'm not a perfect driver, look at that my car, but from that day, my driving style changed. There was a change. Oh yes, now and then I might slip up and make a mistake, but generally, there was a change in the way I drove. Why? Because I repented. That's repentance. I'm going to change. And I changed my mindset. And when your mindset changes, your attitudes change, you know? So there is a difference between, now, apologising is correct and it's proper. Sometimes if people come to me and they say, I'm sorry, what, we, what us humans do, when somebody comes to you and says, I'm sorry, we say, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Do you know what? That's the wrong thing to do. When somebody comes and apologises, what we should do is say, thank you. I appreciate your apology. That is valuable to me. Because you're acknowledging. Well, what we do is say, oh, don't worry about it. But really, what we should do is say, I appreciate your apology. Thank you. You know? Because apology is important as well. But repentance is the real key. We are saved by the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where we place our faith in him, the only one who can give us salvation. We've got to remember the wonder of what that is to be forgiven. There's no, nothing in the whole of creation that can forgive you and make you right with God other than Jesus. It's the only one. There's no other way. There's no other church functionality that can come in and give you repentance. Do you know, when someone's on their last legs and are about to pop their clogs, if they're, uh, I believe, Catholics especially, they say, quick, get the priest. Get the priest so that he can make his last rites and this, that, and that. You can get the blimming Pope if you like. It ain't going to make no odds if the person's not a genuinely repentant. You know? It ain't going to make no difference. We need genuine repentance for people. Amen? That's what we need to lead people into. And so, only God can truly forgive. And you know what? God loves to forgive. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. Satan hates it. And he wants to keep you in bondage. And one of the big problems we have is God forgives us, but other people don't. Or God forgives us, but we won't forgive ourselves. And you think that's mad. If God has forgiven Michael, if God, God has forgiven him because he's truly repentant, if God, the creator of the universe, has, has allowed his son to be nailed to a cross so that Michael can be forgiven, if the Holy Spirit has moved in conjunction with the will of God, if the Father has been separated from the Son, if the shed blood of Jesus declares that he has been forgiven, who are we not to forgive? 
You're going to sit on your hobby horse. You're higher than God. You choose not. Here's the gutting thought. This is really gutting. Someone does you over. They're horrible. They sin against you. Do whatever. All right? Without them coming to repent to you, they might have gone to God and said, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me for what I did. What, you mean you're going to forgive them, Lord? When I haven't had the opportunity to... Yeah, because God forgives. I can remember years ago, uh, there was a church leader I knew, he was in our lives when we were young, and uh, he was a pain. <laughs> and he caused us both a lot of strife. And I remember being in a conference years later and he was there in the corner, hundreds of people, and he was one of the leaders, hallelujah. Oh. And he was one of these really kind of Cheshire cats, kind of hallelujah. Yeah, and all of this sort of, I'm over the other side, I'm right with God, I'm the same, hallelujah. And I'm doing my bit on this side. And then as I'm hallelujah, and I look across and I see him, and I'm like, Hallelujah, yeah, 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 yeah. And in my brain, I'm like, how can that smug git be over there, a blimmin' leader in the church, worshipping, look at everyone looking at him. They don't know what he's like. I know the blimmin' that he really is. I know his true colours, Lord. And I'll carry on worshipping and then a bit of conviction comes in. Well, you shouldn't really feel like that. Well, I know. Well, how can I get right? And he's still on the other side, and it's hallelujah. And I'm still here. Marva's beside me. She don't know what's going on. And then I should really forgive him, because that's what you want me to do. Okay. Well, what I'll do in the break, I'll go over, and I'll say, I'm changing his name, I'm going to say, uh, Tim, I'll approach him, I'll just say, Tim, can I have a word? And I'm imagining this happening. Can I have a word? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, I just want to forgive you. You really were an absolutely complete pig. You destroyed so much. You're a liar, you condemn people, you manipulate the truth, you're a con man, and you're a fake. Look at you now. Ooh, hallelujah. Well, I just want you to know, I forgive you. All right? And I felt quite good. I thought, yeah, that'd do. I think that's fair enough. And so I start walking over towards him. And I'm only little, but I used to have a bit of a temper. And, and he can see me out the corner of his eye. And I could, he's, starting, he's doing a Pentecostal twitch now. Because he knows I'm coming over. He knows what I'm like. So I walk over. But as I'm walking towards him, something happened in here. And I thought, I'm a manipulating little so-and-so. I'm just using this to have opportunity to really make him feel bad, to condemn him and let him know what a slime boy he is and that I know it. It's so bad. So by the time I actually get to him, God has worked on me, and I get to him, I say, uh, you all right, Tim? And he's like, oh, oh, uh, uh, oh, Matthew, you all right? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, I just want you to know, and this is where it gets worse. This is where I really became born again. <laughs> I just want you to know that I'm sorry if I've ever upset you, offended you, or said words of hurt towards you. I just want you to know that I'm sorry. And as I was saying it, I meant it more and more. I didn't know what was happening. Most peculiar thing. And he's like in bewilderment, wondering what's going on. And then I reached my arms out, he thinks I'm probably going to, he's getting all like, and I hug him. I think, what the heck is happening to me? Get a doctor. You know? You can see what we're really like. That's humanity. You know? And the Lord allowed me to go through that to show me I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and I really, I'm just manipulating the situation. But often we start off in the flesh. But when we're obedient, we can end up in the Spirit. Amen? And sometimes that's how it works. Sometimes you've just got to start in the flesh and say, well, I don't like them. I've never liked them. Don't owe them any favours. Don't have any feelings of love or joy or anything towards them. But 
All right, Lord, because some people say, well, how can I forgive if I don't feel like it? You know, well, you're basing it on feelings and not on obedience. Forgiveness is based on obedience, not on feelings, you know. Not based on feelings, based on obedience. That's what forgiveness is. And it's not even based on the other person. It's about you and God. It's not about them in many ways. It's about you and your obedience to God. You know? And sometimes we can even be in the place of, uh, we want God to make them pay for it still. Because we say, well, I forgive, I forgive that person, but God only knows what he's, when, when he realises what they've done. I mean, I can't be held responsible. As if God didn't actually know, by the way. And God's sitting there going, oh, what did that do? What did that do? I didn't see that on Facebook this week. What happened? You know? But for each one of us, the foundational basis of forgiveness is knowing that you are forgiven. Hallelujah. There is no sin that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It's none. It's nothing. You know? Absolutely nothing. Now, we can disappoint God and we can move into rebellion, but we can't be separated because of the blood of Christ Jesus. There's no sin you cannot be forgiven for. I've often said to people, I'm shockproof, and then forget that God is shockproof as well, you know? But I've never been shocked when people have come to me and told me their sins, and I tell you, Rosa told me some horrific stuff. <laughs> but I'm shockproof. I am. Oh, yeah, you should. Oh, if you only knew what I knew. No, uh, we have to be shockproof as Christians. We have to have already decided, no matter who I meet and what they do, I'm going to be like Jesus and forgive them before I even met them. They've got a clean slate before I've even met them. I'm not going to get caught up in my unforgiveness and I'm not going to be bitter and that sort of thing. But to do that, you've first got to accept that. I find self-forgiveness quite difficult, receiving forgiveness sometimes. I've had my struggles with that. Yes, mentally and biblically I know I'm forgiven, but your humanity comes in and you regret and you think, why did I? If I loved you, then why did I? You know? And you can beat yourself up and then the world and other Christians will just sit there and confirm it as well. You know? But God have forgiven me for everything whilst I was dead in my sin before the foundation of the world. He knew every sin I would ever commit and he said, you know what, the blood of Jesus is high enough to forgive. Wow. But yet we struggle to receive it. One, our emotions. Two, Satan. Three, religion. And they're the things that cause us to struggle to really walk in the wonderful grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and the grace now that doesn't mean we can say well I can sin whenever I want, do what I want and then, no, no, we're not saying that by any means and if you're a true believer you would never want to be like that if, if you're like that then you're probably not a true believer but I value his grace over my life over your lives and if we can understand the grace of God we'll find it easier to forgive one another because we understand the price that we cost. I've often said this, if you've got to rebuke somebody or deal with the situation, go to the Garden of Gethsemane first and envision yourself in that garden, knowing the agony Jesus has gone through to the extent that he's shedding blood and sweat together, to the extent that he's crying out to the Father, asking for another way. That's the extent he's gone to for the person that you're now going to deal with. It will stop you just shooting off your mouth. It will make you value who they are. It doesn't mean to say they haven't sinned or they're not right, but it will put you in a much better position to be able to forgive. I had a get-out clause with one, and that was my real father. I hated my real father. I grew up with so much hate because I was the result of a rape, and it wrecked my life, it destroyed my teenage years completely. And the self-hatred and dirt that I felt because I was conceived in 
the most evil of manners that anyone could be conceived in, and I hated what I represented, the son of a rapist, the son of a paedophile, that's all I was, and I really hated him because of it, and I found his grave, and I went to his grave, and I spat on it, and I cursed it, and I had so much hate, you know? And after I got saved, probably a few months or a year or so, uh, the Lord put on my heart, you need to forgive your real father. Being quite smart and being able to have the ability to outmaneuver God, as I do, <laughs> I just simply outmaneuvered the Holy One. Just like that. And I said, oh yes, of course, yes, we should be forgiven, but you can't forgive someone who's dead. Ding! <laughs> And he come back with another reply. I didn't think it was a conversation, but he still come back with another reply. So I'm walking off quite chuffed with the fact that I can remain in my hate, and it's justified hate. He comes back and he says, forgiveness goes beyond the grave. <sighs> Every blooming time you got to win, you know? And it stuck. And I realised that that forgiveness did go beyond the grave. Yes, the person was dead, but I still had to forgive because it was about my hatred. It wasn't really about him. It was what it was doing to me. And so I had to find that place and get to the point where I could pray, Father, forgive him, and actually mean it. My mum was the most amazing woman. We were talking about my real father one day. I was, we were both saved and she was saying she said to me she said you know what your real dad I knew very well and uh, he was common law husband to her best friend and she said, I knew him very well for many years and she said you know what I realized he was ill he was a paranoid schizophrenic and he was ill and there was no help and he was a part of a devil worshiping cult in Hastings and he would disappear like six months at a time, not tell his wife, his children, just vanish, you know. And she said, when I think about that, she said, it's quite sad, really. He had a horrible existence. And she said, I'm just so thankful that I could forgive him and actually feel a sense of love for him. Wow, how do you get to that place? That's astonishing. My mum's husband at the time this guy who raped her, he hung himself with his shirt in Gravesend Police Station, opposite the Baptist church where they got a prayer meeting tonight, you know? But yet my mother found that place of forgiveness. And do you know why? It wasn't weeks of counselling, years of dysfunctionality. She got saved. A couple of days later, somebody come round and said, you need healing of the memories. So my mum was deaf, she couldn't hear what was prayed. She said, okay. He laid his hands on her, prayed for her, and he went after 15 minutes. She stayed in that state of prayer for about 45 minutes, and she said every person in her life who had hurt her and abused her and all the different things, as she saw their face, she simply said, you forgive them, so I forgive them. You forgive them, so I forgive them. And she got set free. No counselling. No deliverance ministry. No this, no that. Just the word of God moving in obedience. And it set her free. And her life from that point become really functional. And she was functional for the Lord. So we've got to accept, we've got to receive God's forgiveness. Guilt is a barrier that we don't have to have. Guilt. We're not called to feel guilty, we're called to repent. Not feel guilty, but repent. When we repent, it keeps us flowing with the Father. When we're not repentant and there's sin in our lives, God does not cut you off and move further away from you. Okay, when you're in sin, God doesn't go, oh, you're a bit smelly, you're a bit dirty. I'm going over here this week till you sort yourself out. Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit resides in you. They do not move further away. But what it prevents is communication. 
you being able to hear and function and be free in the will of God. And a barrier comes in. And that's the problem. And to remove that barrier of lack of communication, we simply repent. And it's the same with brothers and sisters. If you're not repent, if you've fallen out with someone, what's the first thing you do? Stop talking to them. First thing you do. My mum and dad, my mum was dead. When they would have a row, my mum would spark off at my dad, you this, that, and the other, and before he's got a chance to return with his artillery of abuse back, she'd go, yeah, and then she'd go, what? And take her ear and age out. And my dad would go, and my mum would go, what? Wonderful! I should try that with you now. <laughs> you know? So, that's, uh, that's how she used to win the argument, as it were. But, but the first thing that comes in is a breakdown of communication. We stop talking. We stop loving. We start sitting somewhere else. You know? Get it early. Nip it in the bud. Deal with it quick. We need this prayer daily. We sin daily. We fall short. How many things has God forgiven us of that we're aware of? What about what we're unaware of? That we're not aware of, you know? Now, I know that many people believe you can lose your salvation. Well, I understand that thinking. I don't agree with it biblically, but I understand the thinking. But for me, I think there's no security. There's no peace. There's no rest. Because what if... I've sinned, and I popped my clogs on a bad day. I had a good day Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I was even shundying on Thursday, but Friday came, and it all went wrong, and I popped my clogs, and I'm going in the wrong direction. Do you know what? I think my God's a bit bigger with his plan of salvation over us. I think we're a bit too precious for it to even depend on us. That's why God had to make the plan. He said, they're too precious. If they make the plan, they'll balls it up and they'll all end up in strife. I'm going to make the plan. And I'm going to make the sacrifice as well. Wow, thank God for that. He took it out of our hands. Sometimes we classify our sin. The bigger the sin, the further away we are or the more we need to repent. But Jesus levelled sin. He said, who of you is without sin? Throw the first stone. You know? And then he brings out this whole thing of, well, you know, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you're guilty of adultery. What? And he wasn't saying that to condemn. He was saying that to show his level of holiness and also to point out, you ain't got hope, you need me. You need me. We may need to forgive. We, we receive forgiveness, but we're also expected to receive. Why? Because we've got the Father's DNA. That's the fruit of the Spirit. I've got the Father's DNA. He's forgiving and now I'm forgiving. It's wonderful. We may need to forgive people and situations we're unaware of. We might need to forgive previous denominations that we have been a part of. Church of England, URC, Catholic, Baptist, Free Churches, Pentecostal. We might need to ask forgiveness. We might need to say, Lord, I hold resentment because of what they installed in me, because of the way they treated me. And sometimes we might need to forgive a denomination or a church. We might need to give, forgive companies that we were employed by because they lied about you and they let you down. They ripped you off. They didn't care. But you've never really truly forgiven them because it's a company. God is saying, listen, time to clean house. Even those companies even those organisations, the ones that let you down, that appeal that you put in and you never got it. 
If you're a student, that student loan you desperately waited on, it never comes through. And we can end up holding forgiveness and bitterness and frustration against different organisations and companies, even the, the health service, the doctor, because he gave you the wrong diagnosis. Forgiveness is powerful. We can't sweep it under the rug, because if you sweep it under the rug, you'll just trip over it more and more as you walk along. It will always keep coming up. It'll creep into those conversations, you know? Yeah, but that happened in 1972. But it's still pulsating with life. It can't die. Why? Because you keep it alive. You keep it alive because you're not truly forgiving and saying, do you know what? That's all gone. I don't want them put on a stage. I don't want them held accountable. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable about what they did. It's gone. In actual fact, it is no longer in the jurisdiction of my life. I do not have authority anymore because I've given it to Jesus. And it's up to Jesus what he does. I don't have the authority to be annoyed at Medway Council anymore because I gave it to the Lord. Or the Labour Party or Conservative Party or the Brexit Party or the, Nazi, uh, the Germans. You know? I don't have that right anymore. It's gone. Forgiveness has come in. Romans chapter 4. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Amen. So we're forgiven from our sin and we're justified. We stand right before the Father. Why? Because the price is fully paid. When we forgive people, we're putting ourselves in a better position relationally with the Lord. Amen? To hear from God, to minister to him. We cannot take revenge. We cannot want them to be punished. Now, if somebody's done something that is illegal, then that's a different kettle of fish. If you've been abused, it's illegal, then you need to deal with that and go to the relevant authorities and make that known. Forgiveness is a lifelong process sometimes. Sometimes we have to keep forgiving. Because you forgive someone, you've set free, you've forgiven them, it's all wonderful, it's great, but then they go and offend you again. And again, and again, and again. And then you can get to the point, you know, but forgiveness is an onward going kind of attitude, really, to just walk in forgiveness. And it's not because they deserve it, because you didn't deserve it either but it's out of obedience to the Lord that we choose to forgive, irrespective. Matthew 18, 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Didn't you love Peter? Peter was on a mission. It was all, Peter, whenever Peter approached Jesus, it was like, I'm going to get some brownie points for this one. I really am. And every time he ends up flat on his face. You know, and he never knows, he just doesn't get it. And he's like, with the disciples, and they're all having conversation, and they're all trying to be super spiritual, and then Peter comes in, they're probably talking about forgiveness. So Peter comes in, holier than thou, got his halo on, and they're talking about forgiveness, and, and Peter walks in and says, yeah, yeah, cause... Like, I was thinking, you know, when we were having fish at the beach this morning and we were getting the nets in, I thought to myself, that bloke the other day, I forgave, I'm going to forgive him more than once if he does it to me. And you know what? Not just more than once, Jesus, but I was thinking seven times, because it's your favourite number. <laughs> you know? And he said, how many times should we, should we forgive? Up to seven times? 
And Jesus again says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. What? Hang on a minute. I mean, I was being generous with the seven, but you've just gone crazy. Up to 77 times in a day. No way. I mean, can somebody get on your nerves that they can sin against you 77 times in a day? Is that possible? Even in a marriage? No, 49 maybe, but 70? Sheesh. But you see, the extent and the grace of Jesus goes far beyond our human grace. And it says you keep forgiving. Other translations say 70 times 7, which is 490. 490 times. Wow. The number's not really relevant. It's the point he's making. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. Sometimes we have injustice done against us and we get hurt and everything else and we receive God's grace and forgiveness, but when somebody else drops the ball, oh, we're so quick to judge. So quick to judge. But yet when you dropped the ball, it was different. You wanted a bit of grace. But where's the grace that we extend to others? Even Jesus at the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The soldiers weren't asking for forgiveness. I know a minister who said to me, I only forgive people who ask for forgiveness. And I thought, man alive, you must be walking around with a heck of a lot of unforgiveness in your life. Your theology is, you, how can you forgive someone if they don't ask for forgiveness? Well, they didn't ask Jesus for forgiveness, but he forgave them and set them free completely. Amen? Forgiving others will lead you into spiritual maturity. It will set you free. A lot of the times we can have manifestations in our body. We can have mental health issues because we're carrying a heart of bitterness. And it can manifest in our lives. And sometimes it's not a paracetamol you need. It's repentance. It's to forgive. It's to check yourself. That doesn't mean to say, like I said, when we forgive, I've forgiven people, I'm still upset with what they did, I just don't hold it against them. For some things, the pain will never go of what somebody said to you because it was painful. So don't get confused with that. Then we look at Joseph as an example. God promotes him to be second in command. You know the story, he's rejected by his brothers, they're just jealous, they're digging a hole, they want to do him over, they do him over, he's sold into slavery, all the different things. Uh, there's a worldwide famine, and so people, all the nations are having to go down to Egypt to buy grain. Joseph just happens to be at this point second in command in all of Egypt, Genesis 45 verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five there will be no ploughing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Joseph took his eyes off of himself from the situation and looked to God. And sometimes self-pity is the killer. An absolute killer self-pity. Now, I'm not saying if you fall over and scrape your knee, you go, that didn't hurt, don't care, don't bother me, nothing. No, it did hurt, it hurt, and so on and so forth. But we have to be careful of self-pity. We see in Genesis 47, Pharaoh's authority uh, for Joseph, and Joseph settles his brothers in the land of Goshan, which means draw near or a place of plenty. Goshan, in the province of Egypt, was the most profitable and pleasant 
place in the entire land. These brothers tried to kill him. They ripped him off, deprived him of his family. He ends up with all these different things. In his forgiveness, he doesn't just say, oh, all right, then uh, you can go and buy the grain, but you can just have the measiest, worstest bit. In his forgiveness, he so forgives them that love comes in and takes over, like I had for that leader, and all of a sudden, not only is he forgiving them, he's actually giving them the best land in all of Egypt. Wow. Now, we, do we do that? Give those who have offended us, pour that love on them, even though they've done that? But Joseph pours out this love and he gives them Goshan, the place of plenty, in the middle of a famine. And that is the wonderful power of God. You intended to harm me, but God did it to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. So apart from providing from them, he says, look, I'm going to provide for your kids as well. And he's pouring out blessing upon them. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. It's dealt with. There's no problem. There's not a barrier. There's not going to be an issue in a year's time that I suddenly remember and chuck it in your face. The forgiveness is complete. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You know, that's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. In our humanity, we're not always like that. We forgive with the ump. <laughs> yes, I forgive you because I've got to forgive you, but you don't really deserve it. You know, that would be my mum and dad. My dad was always a bit of a joker, and they'd have a row, and then my dad said, Oh, come on, come on, you know you've got to forgive me. Give us a kiss. And she'd say, No, no, get off. You don't deserve a kiss. I've forgiven you, but you're not touching me. Get off. You know? It's true. It's true. Even in marriage, couples vow and fall out. You go to bed, you might want to make love. You dare try and instigate anything. You will be nailed to the headboard. Yeah, get your hands off of me. I'm not, I don't feel that way. Get off. And that's me talking to Marla. No, you're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Because the forgiveness is sort of conditional. You haven't earned me to be nice to you yet. I'm not feeling it yet. There's a little bit more punishment. Joe, you're looking very red. There's a little bit of... <laughs> Liam, I'd stay out there a bit longer just in case, mate. Uh, but do you understand what I'm saying? That's our humanity. But Joseph spoke kindly to them. He didn't make them pay. Lastly, Luke 22, verse 19. Luke 22, verse 19. And this is Jesus in the Last Supper, in the upper room. And Jesus knows that he's, he's got very limited time to get the last bits of teaching into his disciples. And it's important what he's going to say. He's got to get it into them. And if you know somebody who's dying, or they know they're going to die, they begin to give out the treasures of their heart because it's the most important time. And they begin to reveal secrets sometimes. And so Jesus took bread and broke it. and gave thanks, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after, he, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is a cup. This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. And the disciples, they began to question amongst themselves which of them it might be who would do this. So imagine the scene, they're in the upper room, Jesus has been talking about dying, going back to the Father, about an arrest coming and all these different things. 
the disciples are obviously feeling quite emotional. He's then uh, doing the, the, the Last Supper. He's saying about my broken body, my shed blood. And for the disciples, there's suddenly a lot of change and they're getting insecure. It goes on. They begin to argue afterwards who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Who's better? You know, and competition begins to creep in amongst them. But in all of what's going on, Jesus turns around and says, the one who is going to betray me, his hand is on the table with me. And this, if you can get this, this is a gem. And they began to discuss who it might be. If I knew that somebody was in the ministry and they were stealing the tithes and offerings, they were backbiting, they were forever complaining about the decisions we've made, so on, so forth. And then I knew that that person was in an agape meal with us, and they're sitting at the table with us. Do you know what? Every single one of you would know who that was. Because in my humanity, I know that I would not be able to contain my frustration, disgust, anger, whatever, with that person. But with Jesus, his forgiveness is there before it's even required or even asked for. And there, he has so accepted Judas. He's showing equal love to Judas. He's not leaving Judas out on the naughty step. Judas is involved in everything. And Jesus knows he's the one who's going to betray him. And Jesus doesn't move into self-preservation and think, well, I'm going to protect myself. I'm not going to get engaged in this because it's going to hurt so I'll just keep that person at a distance and just walk around them with the others I'll be alright but that one I've got my eye on that one I'm watching that one and everyone will know not Jesus he loves so convincingly the disciples to go well who could it be because it's not obvious can you love like that Family members, neighbours, people, society, organisation, to such a manner that it wouldn't be obvious you've got a problem with them. I'm not saying they're right, and I'm not saying you can't have a problem, but you deal with it with such integrity, no one would know you've got a problem with them. What? Operate on that level? You'll be expecting us to be forgiving before long. That's the level we're called to. But we only get there when we have the revelation that Jesus had been there first. Yet, the one who would betray him, his hand was on the table with them, and yet they turn around and say, who could it be? Who could it be? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you our clear this topic is. There is no half measure. We can't get round it. We've got to face it. We've got to deal with it. But Father, it's painful when people let us down, lie about us, humiliate us, hurt us. We find it hard, Lord God. And we ask for your strength, Father. Lord, we ask that we would have a revelation of your forgiveness first to us individually. We are forgiven. We are the blood washed, irrespective of what it is. There's no sin that is a, a higher currency than the blood of Jesus. Lord, set us free from guilt, from embarrassment, from shame. Father, stop us from torturing ourselves, forcing ourselves to try and make up for our shortcomings. When Jesus has said, I've already paid the price for the shortcomings. All your efforts are in vain. They're not worth anything. You're just going to burn yourself out. It's been done. Father, help us to forgive others.
freely, readily, maturely, to understand what forgiveness really is, Lord God. To understand your heart. To understand it's not about feelings. It's about obedience. It's the fruit of our salvation. Father, equip us, Lord God, and ask, Lord, that you would heal us. Heal us from the hurts we've had. Set us free from the bondage that we might have walked in, whether it's companies, organisations, religious bodies, individuals, family members, a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter. Lord, help us, strengthen us, come to our aid, Holy Spirit, so that we may truly be set free. In Jesus' name. If you're here this afternoon and you want prayer, then you just come forward and we pray with you and for you. Oh, our precious, this simple prayer, this simple prayer, and yet we overlook the power and the magnitude of what it really is. So we thank you, Father. We thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, when they said, teach us to pray. Man alive, did you teach them to pray. May we be in that same crowd. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name.